Greetings and welcome to the Statsman Podcast with me, James York, and... Ted Knutson. Hey, how are you? I'm not bad, Ted. I'm alright. Fiddling around, you know, as you do. Um, what are we here for? We're here for a transfer podcast kind of thing, really, because someone shut the window and everyone spent money this year, which was... Yeah, wow. Unusual. <laughs> I, I guess they must have lots of money. Hmm. We have considered doing transfer podcasts in January before, and you know sometimes it works out, and sometimes there's just nothing to talk about. You'll get like one or two moves, and uh, this this window uh, might take like three or four podcasts. Not that we're going to do that, but uh, it might take that to get through all of them if you were to do that. Yeah, it was kind of it was kind of exciting um, for for fans who like transfer windows. There was um, stuff going on, and all the big clubs, all the one, all the big English clubs made purchases so we're going to give a quick blast through uh, what we think of their their efforts and then a few other things you know that might take our fancy as we go along and that should apparently some football was played this month as well could talk about that it's always an option on a football podcast to talk about actual football the, the league table is 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 very interesting once again and and scary for most of the teams in the bottom half of the league yeah, it's, it's Swansea suddenly come into life, being sh- shocked into life by, um, I don't know, a little bit of fortune, a little bit of good play, certainly against Arsenal. And, yeah, uh, they trounced them. Because I think everyone had happily discarded Swansea, and you know, so it was only two places to to avoid. Now that really isn't the case at all. You know, there's eight, nine, ten teams all not safe at all, and three places that could easily gobble them up. Mark Taylor did a little thing yesterday saying how, um, uh, like, as regards points at this stage of the season, the, the middle of the, the middle of the table have got very little compared to usual, and the bottom of the table have got quite a lot. So, yeah, yeah you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, interesting the way it's compressed. Anyway, what should we do? Hey, here's a question. Who won Ooh. the, tra- who won the transfer window? Um, Manchester City. <laughs> You think Man City? You're gonna go. Man I have City? no idea. No, that's not a real answer. They're just like so far ahead in the league that you know. Whatever. Yeah, it was a, it was a draw. It was a six-way draw. <laughs> no one won the transfer window. So def- default, Man City. Man City get the the transfer window title. We can start with Man City. That's fine. Like they signed, I I'm Rick Laporte. Uh, where'd you come from? Bill Bow, wasn't it? I I forget. Um, for a lot of money, for a centre, more more defensive reinforcements for Man, Man City. Um, their defence now looks set for the for the future with you know Otamendi. Is he twenty nine or something? You know they've basically got got his replacement already in place. Already in place. They probably. I think the the big deal is is more that like Vincent Company can't be relied on yeah. his body. Like he's he's a very smart guy and a good player, but his body just is never going to cooperate. And at some point, you have to concede that that's the case. So having Laporte there sort of gives them a buffer. You pay full whack, as you always do from buying from Bilbao, because they only play local players. So that's why everybody costs so much and has big release clauses. Um, yeah, it's it's fine. Like they They need... I wouldn't say need right now, but that's the problem. If you're always building for your needs right now, you're actually creating problems for yourself in the future. If you build for the future, then often your problems are already solved by bringing guys up through. I saw this morning that they moved Zinchenko onto the Champions League squad, so that was actually, you know, I, I'm part of that is, is injury protection, but part of it is also admission that he's been pretty good. So Yeah, quietly. They have actually it's, it's, you know, integrated very slightly some of their younger players. Um, it's not all... 
big transfers, although although it is a lot big transfers. And uh, yeah, they've really evolved um, from the team say three or four years ago that was buying buying players with a view to win now, twenty eight, twenty nine year olds, uh, into like you know securing deals on players that you know should kind of like when they when they first uh, went out and bought players like Aguero and Silver and and such like the players that were on the younger end of of that like 23 24 25 so they were going to going to get I get the feeling Man City look after their their players very well so they were going to get the the good years out of out of all of those players and not have a problem two or three years later when they've got uh no more you know they haven't got the problem anymore two three three years later that they've got massive contracts for 32 year olds so much yeah they're they're cutting back on that it's a it's a more sensible churn potentially we'll see how they handle these guys as they go um but uh yeah it, it seems fine and hopefully you know the the one rumor was that they were trying to get uh Mares, uh partly for depth reasons uh they've apparently been after him for a bit but yeah, they didn't need him. That was also more potentially for the summertime. Question is whether they come back or not. And they're pretty good about buying young attacking players, even if they have to pay a lot. Uh, we'll see on that one. But I think you know their concept is: can we can we stock and be too deep at every position so that we can take every possible trophy in the coming years, or at least go after them? And that's what you actually need because there are so many games in England. Mm-hmm. So I I get why you know people look at it and say, why do they have to? The the flip side of that is they do have a very good academy, and it would be nice to see them start to incorporate more of those players. Hopefully, I guess the fact that they didn't buy Mares means that you know Brahim gets a, uh, some time. Sinchenko continues to play. You know, the, most sensible squads would uh, would be able to have these young players. Like Chelsea is always the question: Why don't they play their young players and incorporate them as depth options? And I think a lot of their thing is they have managers that are. You know, Chelsea manager is always a short-term job, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and so they never end up wanting to, to bed in young players. But the fact of the matter is they should be because they have also one of the best academies in the world. I think if you take the City team, though, and you look at what they want to do, I think they're preparing themselves so that they can become that Barcelona team that Pep had for a couple of years that has depth and really good players at every position so they could potentially just go out and keep winning every possible thing they can. And if City are willing to stock for that, you know, I, I, we're going to hate this in a few years, but right now they're so good that it's hard to root against them. It, it felt like he had that kind of depth at Bayern as well, didn't he? Like on the, it didn't matter who he played on the flanks, it changed every week. And, you know, there was, there was like for like quality a lot of the time, you know, even behind, like, say, Robin and Ribery. But um, you, you mentioned Chelsea there. I think they're, they're, they're fascinating because obviously uh, they lost their transfers guy. Uh, well, I can't remember. Yeah, Eminardo. He rocked up at <laughs> rocked up quite soon at Monaco, did he? And yep. and then the transfers. The transfers have been a little bit odd in recent years. I think this this winter's transfers are, are intriguing. Um, Ross Barkley. I I think a lot of people thought he was going to end up at Tottenham and uh, you know be that kind of like percentage play. Maybe you can improve him. Maybe you can get the best out of him. You know. Chelsea, you figure Chelsea would be pitching at the higher end, and then the crazy run of uh, who knows what the stories were. All these like aging English strikers that got target men that got linked with them. They finally land Giroud uh, to the sadness of many Arsenal fans. Well, like the best option they could have ended up with is sort of a weird scramble where they go through so many names 
that aren't good, and then you end up on on the guy that is actually a really good big man B option. He gets to stay in London with uh with Barkley. So unfit for purpose. Who's a good follow? He does the the Monday evening uh, radio recaps from from Five Live. Um, he has had sort of a long term thing where he's trying to encourage Spurs to potentially get Ross Barkley, maybe as a Moussa Dembele replacement. But uh, you know, it, it was a question as to how much was tongue in cheek, and you know, Ross Barkley as he currently exists is probably well, definitely not good enough to replace Moussa Dembele uh, when he's good or playing. Um, and the question is always like, you know, where does Ross Barkley fit in with a top six team? And I, I said, you know, now that now that he's not with Spurs, uh, you know, Ross Barkley as he currently exists, can we just call him Dumbele? Because like he just doesn't—he's so not mean, like, Chad, so mean. <laughs> oh, come on! He doesn't play for my team, thankfully. No. Not that my team is very good. Uh, in fact, they're actually behind these teams in the table. Never mind. We're going to go on with ourselves and make fun of things as we do. Um, no, I—I I think Barkley deal is a mess. Um, you know, fifteen million for six months left on his contract. Would they have had some sort of? Um, arbitration to go through uh i don't know but he's probably old enough that it wouldn't matter how does he improve chelsea he doesn't right he is yeah no i can't see it <laughs> he's some depth but they don't need depth of of role players right they need they need some guys that can actually i i hate to say the take the game by the scruff of the neck and and chelsea don't have a lot of that in the in the center of the park They've got Conte who can clean up for other people, and Sescu does his uh, Fabregas thing, but Bakayoko hasn't been great. No. And they got drink water. I mean, and this is this is one angle, isn't it? That, that was they, another may, one. Maybe they Why needed, did you get drink water? <laughs> maybe they needed some English-based players for, you know, to fill out their squad or something, but... They have the so. academy kids! <laughs> yeah, well, it's... I, the thing I don't get about uh, Barkley is, is he's, he's been out, out all season. I really, right. wouldn't, I really don't want to buy a player who hasn't seen a football pitch in in six months for injury reasons. And <laughs> when he has played, he looks like he hasn't played all season. So yeah. they, they toss him into the lineup, and he gives away possession regularly in the first game or two. He's better than that, but again, is he good enough to start on Chelsea for, for the long term? Absolutely not. Um, squad depth, fine. English squad depth, fine. But again, like they have good English academy players. Why aren't they incorporated? Yeah, I mean, it's a, From a team-building perspective, this is a mess. And... You know that that's why they get criticism. But you know, Conte, as crazy as things are behind the scenes, as maybe as crazy he is out front, like they're still pretty well situated to end up in the top four, probably. Yeah. Mm. I mean, the one signing we haven't mentioned is another player who's been out injured all season, uh, Emerson out of out of Roma. Now that uh, again, that's I'd like to see him play some games, but. He's he's got a lot of potential upside. Uh, odds that they would like reinforce their left side. I guess they haven't got much behind Alonso on that side, but Alonso's pretty good. Um, so I think I I actually was asked for my take on this from from somebody else, and my my take is Emerson when healthy is a fully dynamic um, fullback, whereas if you had to put Marcus Costa against or, or Alonso against somebody that say like the zippy wingers that you have to compete against mm. I don't think that he's your ideal guy he's actually been great in and around the box and he's been more attacking than I might expect but I don't think that you know if you need to play him as a true fullback you're going to get quite the the element of productivity and and maybe defensive shutdown that that you you might 
you might want. Um, now, this is pending his being healthy and returning to the level that he was at at Roma. But if he does, then they're going to end up with one of the best fullbacks in the league. And that's that's a legit gamble that you don't mind taking. If if they think that they can they can repair him or, or that he's already in near that quality, then this is a good signing for now and for the future. I guess the difference between Chelsea like now and historically is like they were always they were always in at the top of the market going back a few years and now it feels like they're very much balancing the books and trying to do a little bit of wheeler dealing which is seems it's, it just feels odd because you're so used used to them being you know headline making kind of transfers rather than these kind of semi some of these semi gambles that they're making you know like Giroud Giroud really he's he's too old you know, he, oh, he's he's still perfectly capable. But you know, if you if you're absolutely, you know, looking for the best options you can get, you probably don't sign him. Same with Barkley, Emerson. You would if he if he was coming off a fit season, you'd have no problems whatsoever about that. The fact that he's been out all all um all of the autumn makes you wonder. So is it they they they've evolved and. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Kanye is there after the the summer? <laughs> I, at the start of the season, I predicted no because um, because I just figured like you're either winning or you, or you go. And he won last season, so that was fine. And he probably isn't going to probably isn't going to win anything this season. And could end up in, in kind of in a mediocre place. Like <clears throat> Abram, this, Abramovich just doesn't let you lose three nil, three nil at Bournemouth very many times. Like <laughs> at home to Bournemouth. It can happen, but I think that he's mellowed quite a bit, and I think the the you know the news stories about um, Grabuskaya being sort of the major playmaker is is are definitely true. Um, you know, Amanala leaving is is a blow one way or another. Like Michael did good work overall, I think, you know, in keeping a lot of disparate parties together. Their execution was good. You could complain about their incorporation of, of youth, but you know they they did have what two Premier League titles in in the last four years, right? Two, yeah, two and three, even. I mean, uh, yeah, exactly. That's solid. that's not so bad, right? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind that myself. I, I don't know about fans of other clubs. Uh, two names that I think are, are interesting and out of work right now. That you know, one would be kind of a, another revisitation of a, of a past um, marriage that worked fairly well, and the other one I think would be. Yeah, if if you had a good director of football that could work with him and he got along with, so Carlo is doesn't have a job at the moment and has worked in at Chelsea before and uh, did pretty well when he was there. Yeah. And, but you know they they have to they have to sort out how the squad is composed. The one that I find interesting and is probably you know if Messi's only on a loan that would be quite intriguing is Thomas Tuchel. Like if you're building a squad around what Tuchel needs and you're like all right you, he's one of the few managers you think that could potentially come in and compete against this current crop of, of managers. He actually has a plus EV attack, whereas, you know, I think Klopp has had to, to work a bit to develop that. Um, you know, plays a pressing style. If if they get a little bit of adjustment on how they build this team, start to incorporate some of the youth and then see what what Tuchel could do with it, um, yeah, that would be pretty intriguing. Uh, could bright could turn Chelsea into an actual horse race again next year, whereas people will just see City running away with it. I don't think I don't think Mourinho has the ability United to actually create that. But we'll find out. I think this is a subtle difference in in the top six clubs at the moment. Like you can see concepts at some of them. Like Man City have it took them a while, but they you know they very much got the whole you know his Guardiola's world, and you know conceptually you can see where their transfers and how they've evolved, what they're doing. 
Um, Tottenham and Liverpool too have very much got you know like the idea of long term managers. Um, slightly different philosophies towards transfers. Liverpool's are, uh, look to be generally hitting a lot of strong transfers and doing well recently. But then right. you've got, you got Chelsea, Arsenal, and <clears throat> United, who are all. It's well, I mean. <laughs> United just feel like they're in a bit of an arms race. We're we're, we're gonna we're gonna buy players that market well in some way. Um, mm. uh, as I said, Chelsea are in some kind of like odd transition where they seem to be trying to be a little bit more careful. But but <clears throat> yeah, you're not quite sure which direction their squad's going. Well, and I don't they, think they have to be either. <clears throat> like they're making profits, and you know, Bramwich doesn't really care about the profits, to to my knowledge. And they've they've sold well enough that. Yeah, the the cash is there to be reinvested. Plus, you look at all the academy kids out there, and if they wanted to to raise you know 150 million from sell, selling you know a chunk of their academy, they probably could. That's how much value they have in in loanees around around the way. One thing that I thought was interesting that that Kaylee and I kind of got into a, a bit of a disagreement about on on Twitter was there was this rumored deal for for Mares, and apparently it, it only you know the the comeback from Leicester was that it was only 50 million in cash and then potentially Mangala on loan or swap deal or something like that but there was a rumor that it was like 60 or 65 billion um for Mares and I was like well if I'm Leicester like I absolutely sell for that one if the player wants to go then let the player go I, you don't always do it and you often resist but if you resist too long you end up having a player that tanks his value you get things like Aubameyang who could have sold for probably quite a bit bigger in the summer but and he wanted to leave and I think he was told he could probably leave if if things got sorted so you've got to be really careful with that and and delaying player transfers eventually they happen but managing the players quite difficult so you got that on one side for Mares, but the other side is like if you know that you've got that cash that you can reinvest you just you do it and you improve the squad and you do your due diligence and you find players that you think might be promising. And the thing that I disagreed with on, on Michael was that like almost none of these clubs are are actually, you know, efficiently, effectively operating. You know, City City have been fairly efficient in what they've done, but you know, they're they've got a lot of money and, and they've got Pep. And Pep Pep is the wild card that that solves so many problems because he's so awesome on the pitch. But for these other clubs, you know, if you spend like if you spend perfectly like Liverpool have, you can definitely raise up. And Klopp is quite a good manager as well. Uh, they're not going to compete with City because like City's budget are basically twice what Liverpool's is, something like that. But th- that's okay. They, you're in that good spot. Chelsea could have a similar budget range, and Manchester United definitely do have a similar budget range to <clears throat> to um, to Liverpool. These are the top six clubs, but. If we look at it, we say that these teams are staggering a little bit, and they can't quite figure out how to how to operate. Another club could come in there, and if they maxed it, if they figured out how to do all of the things that you're supposed to do, like you know, in baseball they talk about the Houston Astros, just going back to the beginning, building up better practices, building up better, um, you know, better talent, how to train that talent, how to effectively maximize that talent. It's a different sport. Nobody in football is doing that right now. They're just not. Uh, Liverpool are doing it at the transfer level. They, you know, there are some other places they they probably aren't, but. If you could be a smaller club, and when we say smaller, in the Premier League, in the world, smaller still means you're like in the top 30 revenue clubs in the world now. That's how big the Premier League is. 
If you can do that with that type of budget, you can crack the top six, the top four, potentially, once every three or four years. But you have to optimize well, and you have to make sure that you're doing things exactly right. You have to find new edges, edges that other people aren't exploiting. So for me, you know, these big clubs have a lot of potential that's unrealized, and these smaller clubs have a lot of potential that's unrealized. But instead, you get Everton going back to Big Sam and making terrible deals and seeing half of their summer signings go back out on loan or fail to go on loan because they didn't agree with their image rights. So yeah, no, I I, I agree with all that. I mean, um, especially the 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 rest not kind of capitalizing on you know their in vast wealth now to just. I don't know, just make good decisions and, uh, you know... We should circle back around to the top six because there's, yep. there's, like, transfers we haven't gotten to. But speaking of that process and that... So what do we think about Southampton in 18th place now, right? Because, yeah. like, this was the thing. Southampton were the next big club and they were executing really well. And, you know, people are like, wow, this is amazing. And, and Leicester you know, are still sort of like the biggish medium club. And they executed well enough to get a title, which is unheard of. And now they're in eighth, and they've got a lot of money, and they've got owners who spend. But Southampton, so relegation spots again. We're back to to bad Southampton-ish. Well, I think with Southampton, the, the problem right now, I hinted on this in something I wrote, it, it was just like they always had players that big clubs wanted to buy, so they always had good players. And now I don't think that's the case. I think they've missed a few times in transfers, and it's meant that ultimately their first team is is slightly weak. I mean, someone like Buffal who came in, and you know they <laughs> they would have probably been hoping that he'd have hit and you know be looked at as you know in, in the same category as say Mares was by City. You know, it hasn't happened. He's probably not. He's quite clearly not that good. Um, he's okay, but they haven't got anyone on their squad particularly. Like Van Dyke felt like the last one. It was, it, was, it was the last like high value player that they've got in their squad right now that they could actually sell and move on. So that's a well, problem. Red, Redmond hasn't really developed. You no, know, him too. Brought him in, and you think that he's, <clears throat> he's as his age, he's got a lot of potential. I think the, there are two factors that I would look at in this. One is, and also they haven't really had many academy kids that came in and, and spiked. You know, like it seems like they had had more of that before, and they haven't had it for a while. If they have a good academy, then you know those should end up coming along. But you know, player development is inconsistent, and even at the best academies, it kind of is. I think the other thing that gets missed out here is their best period coincided with a pretty stellar manager, right? Uh, yeah, we're talking about Pochettino or Koeman. Oh, that guy, right. <laughs> Koeman so, held it together for at least a season after that. It wasn't he did fine, and he, okay. was, he was stable. <clears throat> and, and even Puel didn't do that badly, although they couldn't figure out how to sco- score goals for whatever reason. But, yeah. you know, consistency there. Um, so it, it's that... It's that twofold thing where when you've got player churn, you have to make sure that the you get hits. And, and some of them can be big hits and some of them can be little hits. But eventually, if you can't recreate that process and keep hitting, you will end up in a trough. And combine that trough with the manager trough, which is actually, I think, more difficult than the player trough in many ways. And I think now you're seeing this performance. But they have 11 draws. And that's... That's a big factor in, in where they're at in the league right now. The only other team with 11 draws is West Brom. Um, you know, you need <laughs> yeah, and that's a big fight, so they're below them. <laughs> <laughs> Poor old Pardew. You need to get threes, and you need to find ways to win matches. And, and yeah, I, I think in Spain, Pellegrino is um, you know, pretty highly regarded. Uh, young coach, progressive, 
whatever their problems right now, you know, I think it's a it's a complex thing to pick apart. But certainly, you have to replace the the hits with hits in order to maintain that, and they haven't. And I think that there are plenty of other guys that they could have gone for in similar price ranges that they've missed out on. We've also talked about how if you're replacing a good player with a single other prospect, then if that guy's um, performance drops, then your overall team performance will drop too. So if you're not taking gambles on multiple players or potentially, you know, that you definitely, you're not giving yourself um, uh, anti-fragile is, is what you would call it. Well, that's a whole, a whole other topic. <laughs> we'll get into Sorry. That now. Yeah. Well, but, so uh, now we go into the game theory section of the podcast. <laughs> you can talk about that. That's, that's your specialty, not mine. <laughs> Jesus said that in the Gospel of John, anti-fragile was uh, no. Sorry. <laughs> not Moving on. Bit, yeah. <laughs> we don't have a religious section in this podcast. I'm afraid. So. Um, do you want to talk about Arsenal a little bit? Because it is no. quite. <laughs> This is your specialist subject. It's kind of fun. I don't know. They have signed fun attackers. They look like they could be a lot of fun. Um, I don't think anyone really... I don't... You know, start of the window. I don't think I really thought they'd go out and buy Aubameyang. I, I, it's only a couple of weeks. I wrote about it, I wrote about Arsenal thinking that, like, you know... The, the arguments against these deals, but I, I kind of don't think I thought that they'd really really stick. And you know, Mkhitaryan as well. Mkhitaryan, Aubameyang, uh, Lacazette, and Özil. I don't know how you get them on the fit the pitch together effectively. I can't see him playing two strikers. Um, but that's exciting, isn't it? Ted? Surely everything's good at Arsenal now. Uh, hmm. Okay. So I've been I've been chewing on this for a while, and I've I've been trying to wrap my head around you know how do you get out of this? <laughs> that's that's my thing. How do we? This is a band aid, uh, and it's a band aid that doesn't actually address the the major shortcomings of the club. But I think that 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 might not be addressable in the current regime. So, um, right. So Arsenal had aging players sometimes injured, uh, some who didn't want to sign new contracts. Uh, so Alexis Sanchez goes. Uh, Theo Walcott goes. Probably time for Theo to go. Um, and uh, Coquelin goes because he's not good enough. And Olivier Giroud goes because he wants to play and potentially get into the, the French national team for the World Cup. It's kind of his last run. And he's, he's been a great servant for the club. He's really good. So like you got the top three goal scorers, I think for the last five seasons was something that I read, all leaving the club. That's yeah. a lot. That's a lot of goals. Um, the most important thing that they did, though, was get Ozil to sign a new deal. Yeah, it is. If, if you look at all the players on Arsenal, Ozil is the highest performer and biggest outlier, if that's how you want to you put it. So he would be the most difficult to replace in any, any shape or form. Even at his age, he's got amazing productivity uh, in the Premier League. There's no question as to whether or not he can do well here. And I was asked on Top Sport um, if, you know, well, why aren't Arsenal better if Ozil's so good? I'm like, well, because there are 11 players on the pitch, you know? It's not really just his fault. And also, there's coaching tactics and things like that. So they they get Ozil resigned. That's really good. Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang are old. And <laughs> old for, for top-tier footballers. Let's put it that way. We don't know if there's a fall-off or when there's a fall-off. Um, Aubameyang has played with great talent around him. Arsenal talent might be a little less versus the league that they're in 
right now. But uh, Mkhitaryan, you're getting on a deal that you know he's he was the unwanted player at uh, Man United, didn't fit in with Jose Mourinho, could was really great the year that. Um, United bought him. Uh, he was the best player in the Bundesliga that season. Can he get back to being close to that? If he can, even for a year or two, then you're okay, right? But the way that I look at this is that this is a stopgap for two things. One, it gives Arson some attacking players that he can work with, that have flair, that can create that beautiful style that seems to have left Arsenal a little bit, partly because Walcott, or less Walcott, but Sanchez just kind of bled possession a lot of times in the attacking third, whereas before it felt like Arsenal had more players that could do the little tippy-tappy thing and eventually dance the ball in the net. So we've got that going. The bigger problem is you have to replace Czech. Like he's <laughs> Czech is, has fallen off the cliff, and that's very clear. So you've got a, a top-tier goalkeeper you have to replace. You have to figure out how you're actually going to defend from now on. You need a mobile destroying defender that can still pass, whereas you know Shaka is a slow destroying defender that can still pass. Um, so how are you rebuilding from the back? And the answer to that question, I'm not sure that they have yet. Part of it is caused by the, the tactical system and structure that they play. Can they get a better manager? Well, we'll find out maybe this summer, but almost certainly in another year. Because I don't think that there's the will for Arson to stay on for you know anything past his current contract. And I think that even at the owner level, which was what he ended up signing a new deal from last time around, they'll realize that it's time, time to move on. Um, so... It is a Band-Aid, and it's an old Band-Aid, and, but if you're just trying to do two years and then do the thing that Mislintat apparently did quite well at Dortmund, which is find young talent, uh, bring them in that is very close to ready, uh, give them some betting in period, and then give them a year or two where they're deputizing for these older players that are still quite good, and then hopefully they develop into peak, maybe there's some hope, maybe there's some rays of sunshine there. That's, yeah. that's my take. Oh yeah, I, I I think you're not too far off. I mean, somewhere someone said I read recently, yeah, pretty pretty similar that this this is this is a stopgap, and it kind of gets you to gets you to the next stage. The next stage is entirely important as to what they do, and basically they need to rebuild most of the team <laughs> from but, the back from the back forward. And you have to do it in the most expensive time ever. Yeah, <laughs> which that's is tough. which is the worst part, right? <laughs> I mean, they've got what Iwobi and Bellerin, maybe who are like, are there more young players who you can see like being, uh, you know, starters four five years from now in, in a, you know, in, in in Arsenal side. They do have a couple of talented kids coming <clears throat> out of the academy that could sort of break into that second tier as well. Um, mm. But yeah, it's it's difficult. Like they're not young at the moment. Like if holding. Or Chambers pays off, then you say that they've got a centre back for the future. But yeah, we're not quite seeing that from them yet, though. Are we? I mean, you know, it's not their fault. Maybe they, maybe they're not at Arsenal standard. They're probably, they're probably Premier League standard. But you know, so what's it's, it's really tough? Yeah, it is, and and they put themselves into this position, so you can't feel too sorry for them. Um, what I did find interesting is, is like the the backlash. How can Arsenal pay that much money in wages for a player? Now. If I think it's a three and a half year deal, right? So mm. if we say that he's making three fifty a week, you're looking at about eighteen million uh, over the life of the contract, or eighteen point two million a, a year uh, times three point five. You're looking at, at like sixty three, sixty four million pounds, right? But that's mm. the entirety. There's no transfer fee involved in this. If Arsenal had to go out and replace him, they would have to pay wages plus sixty three or sixty four million pounds in order to find anybody remotely close to 
to what Ozil does unless they manage to magic up a, a guy that no one knows about. You can't just complain about the wages. Like, what is the cost of replacement? What does that deal look like? Now does it make sense? And Ozil, again, his age is a factor, but they have all of the the data on him, physical data. They know his lifestyle, and they know that as of right now, he's still one of the best in the world at, at you know creating goals for teammates, and that's pretty freaking valuable. I don't think it bears thinking about what Arsenal would have looked like next season without him. It's do you know what I mean? You'd have looked at their start whatever they did in the summer, you'd have looked at their starting lineup and you just thought, right, okay, how's all this supposed you know, how's it all supposed to fit together? Just Tom, Tom Lawrence Tom Lawrence would have switched from writing Everton previews where they finished seventh to potentially writing Arsenal previews where they finished seventh. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, Ozil's like the, he really is this kind of the one shining light that you can kind of hold on to if you're an Arsenal fan and say like, yeah, he's our guy, he's absolutely great. I am we willing to buy a to new a new kit uh, that tells you where I was at before. Like, if they hadn't re-signed them, I would have been incredibly frustrated. Now I'm like, you know, I kind of like the the pink and charcoal kit. I'd like another Ozil kit. I think my son would be angry if I don't get him one though. So I'm trying to to wait a little bit. <laughs> All right, let's spin up to Liverpool quickly because. Uh, <laughs> I think neutrally, I think we both quite like what they've what they've done long term in the, in the transfers. Um, Van Dijk, seventy odd million. How do you like that? I to me, it seems they've got their man. I they've paid absolute as much as you could possibly pay for a defender for him. So mm. my cop <laughs> mm, uh, <laughs> likes him, and to some extent. I almost believe that you kind of got to give top coaches what they want in center backs because they see things that we won't, right? Mm-hmm. Even at the even at the stats level, like they'll see things like in like the way they behave or like they read a particular situation. You're like that's really valuable, and you're only going to see that by eyes. Van Dijk has errors in him, especially in the in the last year. That price is somebody something you want to pay for a guy that. You know, is almost perfect, right? And that's not where Van Dyke came from. I don't know. I'm I'm not Maldini for that money, and that's the thing. I, I don't see that in Van Dyke. I see. If, yeah, I, but Maldini never tackled, right? So, you know, <laughs> yeah, so he'd saying. never show up in our stats. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. That's sign. a lie. Anyway, um, <laughs> so I like so I like the Coutinho sale. I thought they sold. You know, they got good yeah. whack for him. He wanted to go. They got an extra you know four or five months. He was really good in that f- period of time. I don't like the Van Dyke signing as much. I know why they did it. And sometimes you get locked into the situation where you know you just have to pay. I, su- um, I, su- I suppose balanced against the against the Coutinho deal. Like you know, if it was a case of like uh, Southampton want an extra for ten fifteen million, yeah, we got one hundred and forty million coming. <laughs> uh, to, to hell with it. Let's just do it. You know, maybe, maybe that's, that's you know, kind of like when um, when uh, Liverpool sold Torres and then bought Andy Carroll for thirty-five million. It, it was a silly fee at the time, but there was there were there were wider reasons for the fee going getting to that high. So maybe that that's part of it. It's still a hell of a lot of money for yeah, like you say, someone who maybe has has errors in him and. Um, in this case, I think we have to, to trust a little bit and judge him on the pitch, and maybe his errors go away, or maybe his value is so good that you know our read, you know, we, we look at a couple of years from now, and you're like, yeah, he's one of the best five center backs in the world, and so that made a lot of sense. Good for them. That's what needs to happen, though. I want to, if you're if you're going to justify yourself, Virgil, you need to become one of the five best center backs <laughs> in the world. No pressure, mate. You'll be fine. <laughs> right, who else? Are we, you, Spurs. You, 
Spurs quickly. Lucas Moura, I mean, I'm a Spurs fan. I, I was happy with this. He hasn't played all season because apparently he's not as good as Neymar and Mbappe. Um, yeah, all right. But he was, he, he was in the PSG team like 50 games a season for like, the last four years. Uh, yeah, did, we, Spurs haven't signed like an, an effective attacker since Son, and that was a couple of years ago. Um, they needed options there. It broadens it out. He can play Champions League. Uh, <clears throat> I haven't got any problem with that deal at all. And Good value, and yeah, you know, it could have a big cheap. upside, or it, <clears throat> it could not. But nevertheless, it's uh, it's worth the risk. And he's the right age; he's twenty five. So you know, you, you, it's not like you, if he was twenty seven, twenty eight, you'd be like, uh, maybe this best years are behind him. In theory, he's still got some good years ahead of him, and he's, I think he's quite a hard working player. So. He did. <laughs> We'll see. He, well, he I think they also get right. pace on that side, and that actually mm. could really change some of the dynamics of their their counterplay. Like it allows them to to destroy with the press, but they don't have to destroy as high up. You get the ball immediately to an Ericsson or even one of the center backs in in some cases, and they get a right sided option that had previously mostly just been left side. Uh, with with serious pace, so I'm you know they could make effective use of that, and it could broaden their tactics as well. Mm. And that leaves Man United, who got who Man United, who there's such an odd mix at the moment. You know their, their defensive record is broadly on the surface looks good. De Gea bails them out constantly. Matic at the start of the season, there were a lot of people think, oh yeah, what a what a decisive signing. I'm not sure people have We were very so cautious on that one. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so what do they do? They go and spend uh, a fortune. Well, I guess, you know, if we're talking about, um, you know, my, no transfer fee, they, they still lost Mkhitaryan, so it's, it, you know, it didn't cost them zero. But uh, Alexis Sanchez, I don't know. Uh, this, <laughs> I haven't really commented on Alexis Sanchez still. I, I've always liked Alexis Sanchez generally. Uh, you know, even though he's, he was an Arsenal player and I'm Tottenham fan, I'm, I, I'm not too too petty to care about that. I always liked him. Uh, cause, see, he always put in a lot of work. Uh, you know, talented player, scored a lot of goals, and I don't know. I was watching him play against Tottenham the other night. He just he just felt like the villain to me. I felt, I felt like <laughs> I, I felt no love for Alexis Sanchez, and I don't think most of the Tottenham team did either. The amount of times he got crushed into uh, during the pitch, but yeah, it just feels like. Well, you know what happened to that guy? I used to used to quite like him. You know, how you have your favourites in football. I don't like him anymore. I don't like Alexis Sanchez. Why? What happened? <laughs> Do you know? <laughs> it just feels like treachery. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, no I don't. I don't know. He he's gone where he wants. There was a lot of talk about like this his time at Arsenal. I don't know. It's just it's just something about him. You just think like, yeah, he's he's uh he's not such a good guy. Fair enough. This is um, just me being a, a daft fan. But go on. <laughs> He'll change some games. Like for me, again, it's the what's the plan for United? You know, like mm. you got Rashford that plays out there, you got Martial that plays out there. Like Alexis is, is pretty consistently a left wing player as well. Are you moving guys around over to the right? Okay, well, how does that impact them? Like I would love to pick up Martial if I'm a if I'm a Champions League level team, and yeah. you know, if, and they're not getting rid of Rashford. Like that would be you know PR catastrophe. So if you're if you think that they need to have a little more depth or if somebody's going to get frustrated because they're not playing, it's probably going to be Martial. Um, hmm. Maybe maybe you move Alexis up top fairly regularly. Um, he's he's better at keeping the ball than, than Lukaku. He gives you a bit of a false nine so you can tug guys around a, a bit. Um, so now you've got like real competition at the, at the center forward area. 
Alexis isn't playing this summer, so you don't have to worry about him you know, playing every single potential international tournament like he has in the past. It's it seems fine for United. Like it's a big wage package, but as we talked about with Ozil as well, you know they're not paying a, a real transfer fee. So yeah, United have bottomless money as well, so it really isn't that isn't much of a deal. There are a lot of ideas around his age and the, his style. Whereas you think Ozil can elegantly graduate into his thirties and still ping the ball around, uh, you know, forever more. Um, San- Sanchez less so, just because he's all all action and energy and. If if the the back end of that deal is is him declining but still in the team, it could be in, it could be interesting, uh, you know how that how that pans out. I, it's not a deal I w- I would have done. But I would say a counterpoint to that is that Carlos Tevez is somebody that I feel like kind of matches up a bit with Sanchez. Yeah. Like very aggressive player. He played at a really high level here and then uh, in Italy for a really long time, almost despite his his type of play. Um, and his style, so it's you know it doesn't it's not guaranteed. And if Alexis really does take care of himself, then you know maybe maybe United in two three years you know just move him along to to Juventus to take the wages off the book, and he happily blows up in in Syria for a couple more years, and there you go. So I, yeah, if you're good enough, top- you can get away with it, can't you? That's the that's it's absolutely the true. thing. If you're you know if you just are top class, you can you can get away with you know. Chip, chipping away at your decline. You know. You got to take care of yourself, though. You can't mm. be Wayne Rooney because, like, then the decline really does set in. If you, you still have to be elite athlete. Very true. Right. What else have we done? So that's kind of covered all the all the top teams. Should we um, parachute down the table? West Ham was were a team that uh, caught my eye over the transfer window. Did they? Uh, <laughs> Do tell. We've always said nice things about West Ham. Um, <laughs> Now. We, we, um, we laugh more when we lie about things. So, you know, yeah, like people, yeah. people listening to us for the first time are like, well, hmm, I'm not sure if that was tongue-in-cheek or not. Uh, we always say nice things about West Ham. Right. I mean, <laughs> what have they done? What have West Ham done? Okay, Ciao, Mario. Not, not much. I'm not, I've always, he's one of these kind of Portuguese midfielders that just didn't impress me when he was playing for Portugal. And I had a mixed time at Inter Milan. I don't, I don't, I don't fundamentally disagree with that as it's a loan um you know it's it's a it's a chance if if he gets to the top of whatever kind of potential he's got then then they've maybe got an okay deal and they can turn it permanent it's sure. okay it's 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 it does show you how powerful right. the premier league is that they're getting a Jal mario who went to inter and you know inter probably paid quite good money for him and he's going to west ham like, it's not like he's going to to everton or, or one of the top 6 or <laughs> it's it's west ham that's yeah, there's a lot of drawing power, whether it's the money or the television or just you know the branding of the league. Um, Joe Mario's a guy that won Euros, <laughs> and, yeah. and here he is, you know, popping in at West Ham, and he's not a bad player. Uh, let's let's put it that way. How effectively they'll use him, I don't know, but he's probably not worse than Premier League average, right? <clears throat> no, I mean, it, and it, it brings there, you know, it's, it's not a 30 year old or a 32 year old. I mean, last what was it last winter they signed Fonte and. Um, Snodgrass, didn't they? So, yeah, it, I, I will say that it does still feel like. I mean, the, the Fontaine Snodgrass uh, deals felt like, and a lot of the well, all the deals in the summer they made felt like manager-led deals. Obviously, Billich left pretty soon, so yeah, maybe you think about whether your manager is leading the deals. The other signing that they made, which um, I feel kind of mean, like criticizing this one because you know the, the boy done good, Jordan Hugill, Hugill, whatever his name is. Um, from Preston, they spent nine million quid on him. He's just forward. Um, 
I, it feels like Moyes has, you know, the network of Moyes. Ah, he's a good lad. Your Jordan will bring him in because I've looked, I had a look at his numbers and stuff. I can't see anything. I can't remember a signing that I've looked at since I think it was George Kevin Nkudu when Tottenham signed him. And you looked at his numbers and it was like, what have they seen? I can't see anything at all. Um, I didn't believe this deal happened. So I, <laughs> did you, to give you my perspective on I wish, it, I, was, I wish him all the best. But. I thought that it was a transfer rumor that someone started, maybe agent-led, <laughs> that Preston Northland's striker was going to move to the Premier League. <laughs> I looked at this a few days before the window, <laughs> and it was mentioned that uh, Palace were looking at him at the same time they looking at Soiloff. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> These guys yeah. aren't remotely the same. Why would that be possible? And then he moves to West Ham, which is spectacular. Uh, did West Ham buy or sell an IU this window? Uh, they now have zero IUs, and Swansea oh, have two. The, the stock of IUs have dropped. Yeah, that's another deal I can't get behind either. Uh, Swansea buying Andre IU back. I just they, 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 is, he, is he a young twenty-three-year-old French player, James? <laughs> the equivalent, right? The equivalent here, basically. He's Twenty-eight. <laughs> Ever- yeah, they're the same, right? Ever- Walcott is the same age as AU, basically, and they paid similar money. Swansea paid similar money, by the, apparently, uh, for AU as Everton did for Walcott, and they both gave them three-year deals. So it's basically the same, same deal. Now, I'm quite warm on the Walcott deal. I think you know he's he's still got pace, and. He's obviously he's obviously going to be slightly motivated to try and get in the World Cup squad. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, I think it's one of one of Everton's better criticisable deals. Um, but just a simple coin flip: Do you want Andre Ayew or Theo Walcott for twenty million quid? I'm I'm taking Walcott every time. So yes, I agree. Know, he's still got enough in in the tank for at least a couple of years. Um, they played. Yeah. 20 million for a 28-year-old who basically has been Premier League-ish average for the last three years, and you know they gave him a three-year deal, which means they're going to get all the decline. Maybe he's happier playing with his brother. There's a factor that increases his ability. I don't know. I yeah, this is not a deal we're going to like. Let's move on. <laughs> they also signed Andy King on loan. It was like, right, okay, fair enough. But yes, yeah, Swansea. I, I was expecting more from Swansea. I was expecting them to try and win the transfer window, so to speak, but not quite yet. Um, <laughs> we also have, to, so, like the Everton deal, the Theo deal's good. Um, Sanktosun, I hate, like not as a player, but I don't. It doesn't make any sense to me that you're taking somebody. So there, there are two big warning flag leagues uh, as a general principle. Just because, like, the players in them, the, the bottom half of those leagues are not strong. Uh, and players who are peak, who are performing in those leagues, you bring them over here and they don't seem to translate very well. Um, so it's not like you've got a later upside that you're you're bargaining on, like the Sorloth deal where he's only 22 and he's playing in Denmark, which is a weaker league. Um, you, you've got Turkey and Russia. And those are the two two leagues that we look at and we're like, I don't know if that's going to work out. I mean, when was the last time a Russian deal worked out? Andre Arshavin? It's been some while. I can't think of many, to be honest. I mean, uh, Ahmed Musa finally went back on loan to Russia after... Sure. Just and and Ni- Niasu, everybody is... 
on the nobody knows if he's good or not, but he's been here for like two years and nobody knows if he's good or not. And then so like Saint Tozun is is very similar to that. Um, actually, in, in in a similar vein, Stoke signed um, the. I forget his name now, but from Galatasaray. And the people who, who watched him in the, in the Turkish league, uh, is it NDI? Or N- yeah, Badu NDI. Yeah. Uh, people who watch him in the Turkish league think that he's more of an eight that plays further forward and he moves well with the ball. He's a great athlete. Um, and then apparently Gala tried to play him as a defensive midfielder and that didn't work out very well. But again, he's 27 years old and the last two yeah. leagues he's played in were Norway and Turkey. So the... We, we kind of, when we do these objective analyses, you're like, all right, what do I actually know about this player? Like, okay, well, this is a statistical production, and this is what the scouting report says. But then you have to translate it. Like, you're translating the production from one league to another, and how does that work out? And in a lot of cases, what we do is we look at other guys who have moved from those leagues to similar quality leagues. So it doesn't have to be from Turkey or Russia, did they succeed in... Uh, in Spain, or did they succeed in the Bundesliga? Um, because you know you, you're trying to buff up your sample sizes. Um, yeah, I, I have concerns about both of these deals, and more so because of the damn price. I mean, in right. Dai is like fifteen, sixteen million, probably. If, if that's no no small drop in the ocean, regardless. And Tozen, I think, was maybe up to twenty-seven million. It's like yeah. my God, you know, you you guarantee goals for that, and. Maybe he'll get them, but I think he's already been benched, doesn't he? I don't think he's, he's like a, it's you know, a guaranteed start yet. It's a big risk either way, and when you're paying, yeah, risk risk affects the price. That's that's how we we talk about it. So if you're not paying much, then you don't mind taking the risk. Um, if you think that you've got something stable, you don't mind paying a little more for it because that's you have a good approximation as to to what you're going to get for your money. Uh, those two are are quite risky. Anything think- else you you loved or hated? Uh, interesting points. Severe uh, hoovering up um, loans for uh, failed players like um, Rocky Mesa and um, oh god, who's the other one's coming right out of my mind? Uh, Sandro Ramirez both both gone back to Spain. Uh, that yeah, Severe their recruitment has been solid. Okay, Monchi's she's not there anymore, but you know it tells you something if they're going for them they haven't gone back to Las Palmas or right (laughs) yeah this is Sevilla they're still in like the top six or seven of of La Liga they they think these guys can do a job for them so So is it is it just a linguistic problem Paul Clement apparently spoke fluid Spanish so it shouldn't have been yeah that was odd wasn't it the Mesa he just never ever didn't seem to get an opportunity at all Mm. interesting and what was the other thing I noticed Uh, like I've criticised Barcelona's transfers loads. <laughs> I think you know they've they've spent a lot of money, and but they've got some some the right players. The, the quiet one they did was uh, this Colombian centre back Yeri Mina. I don't know much about him. I did a little bit of research on him. It's ten million quid. I think I think the the fundamental point here is if you can get these these guys straight out of South America and you know they're, they're international players and they're a good good quality. I mean, the Damison Sanchez is is you know, probably his partner for Colombia's uh, centre back. Good example. Like uh, IX paid, however much they did for him. You know, not not unreasonable amount of money. A year later, Tottenham paid forty million quid. I mean, it's possibly an underdeveloped aspect of the transfer market. And Barcelona historically used to always get like good deals out of South America. So I'll 
give them the benefit of the doubt on that one and say that I like the Yerry Mina deal a lot and part of that is because I'd kind of been following him for a while and people that I know that work in those markets had a lot of respect for him people that watch South American football regularly also you know quite high on him and again this low low risk because of the money versus if he pays off if he's like a long-term partner to Umtiti and they have aging center backs so they need that and there are very few guys that that they think they can fit that and that's another thing that I think teams don't sort of take into account like all right so how many guys in the world fit your profile right not many all right so how do we solve that supply problem well I mean, the ways to su- solve the supply problem is to take more of them on and hope you can train them up and, and they work out or you just pay a whole bunch for the guy that you think is a perfect fit but if that guy doesn't work out then suddenly that's really expensive because then you have to resell them and again they're on big wages and stuff like that like right now it's interesting like the there's a worry that City Football Group are buying so many players and then moving them around to to weird places. And you know, Mixed Discarude was bought to bought by Man City, and it allows them to work around like all sorts of different rules, right? Like, technically, should Manchester City Group or City Football Group be able to buy an MLS player from their other team? That seems weird, doesn't it? And if suddenly <laughs> you've you've got these these entities that are able to to move around players to hoover up the supply of good players as much as possible, and then you know wait to see which ones pay off, that's a it's a totally different game than what everybody else is playing. It's a very corporate structure game, and it it seems to almost break a lot of what we understand as the football market. So I don't know. Yeah, it's um. I mean, was it Aaron Moy was the first one of those, wasn't it? It bought with seemingly no intention of ever being part of Man City and yeah. you know, they flipped him quite quickly and you know good business but you know football isn't all business <laughs> it has a heart <laughs> <You know? laughs> but no it's a very fair point um, what else would we like anything else you like, like to, Daniel Sturridge as a loan to West Brom feels like a no brainer why not give I hope he stays healthy sure exactly. I just want to see him play that's it <laughs> yeah. uh, Lucati I'm very intrigued as a data point like very very intrigued. Like how how is he going to do? Uh, Sorloth, I'm intrigued as a data point. Like how is he going to do uh, for Palace? Like will he get played? I think they just announced they have another injury. Uh, Bakari Sacco is, is out, so like Sorloth is going to play a bit. And Nikos and I talk a bit about like the adjustment from the Danish league to to the Premier League. Now I'm fairly high on Sorloth. Um, I thought it was if not the best, then one of the the best two or three players in in the Danish league this year. I sort of keep track of Mitchell and as I, I do Brentford quite closely. And they were fun to watch. They, the, the, what's interesting about Sorloth is I don't think that Mitchell expected him to be as good as he was. Like, they probably brought him in as a backup to, to Paul. And what happened was he was so good that they had to actually change their formation in order to fit him into the, the squad so that he could be on the pitch at the same time. And it obviously has had a lot of success because they, they finished the, this half of the season in, in first and they're doing quite well. Um, with Sorloth, though... You know, he's, he's like 1.94 meters tall. He moves quite well for a big guy. I mean, he moves well, period. But part of that is like if he's 1v1 with at, with defenders in most leagues, he's a big mismatch. Uh, he's either too big or too fast or too strong. That's not necessarily going to be true in the Premier League. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's what a lot of outside players, when we talk about period of adjustment, that actually is one. When you are playing against elite athletes that are the same size as you, when in fact you've been playing against athletes who are the same size and not nearly as good as you, or you're playing against guys who are good athletes but then not the same size, it's a different game, and it is an adjustment. And Sorloth potentially has the tools in order to overcome that. 
but we were laughing about the first couple of days in in training against <laughs> against Premier League level players. You're like, yeah, that's that might be a reckoning. Or sometimes you get the guys who come in and they still destroy people, and you're like, wow, this is a revelation. But I think that happens a lot less often in the Premier League nowadays than it might have happened in the past. How about the Watford loans? Dolafeu, Endong. Um. Yeah, this doesn't fill me with joy. <laughs> Deli Feu gone from Barcelona's first team to on loan at Watford. It's, it's six months of Deli Feu. That's what's going to happen. And Don, he cost Sunderland a lot of money when they bought him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Is there a player there? I guess we'll find out so, soon It's fascinating but. to see Sunderland, who are at the bottom of the championship table, then loan a player that Watford thought were interesting enough to bring in, right? That's That's just odd. Like really odd. <laughs> Maybe that was the point. Maybe it was just a you know like he costs lots of money. He must be all right. He must can't be that bad. And as Moyes has shown, uh, we're doing better than we expected at West Ham. Maybe it's just a Sunderland factor. You know, he's, uh, there were a lot of weird deep, weird loans though, right? Like it wasn't just my imagination. Uh, we're getting like Ujoa goes from Leicester back to Brighton, where he'd been before. Okay, that makes sense. Um, Mitrovic from Newcastle to Fulham. And then Slomani from Leicester to Newcastle. So they're finally moving on a center forward that they thought they were going to move on. That you mentioned the the loans to Sevilla of players that mm. you know are at potentially slightly worse um, teams in the Premier League. Uh, who else was on there? There was one more. Oh, Lookman, the Lookman deal. And, and, That's and, hilarious. And Sam's Sam's response to that. I love that one. <laughs> that was brilliant. He just didn't get it at all. And he, like you know, the hipster world is just like, of course he wants to go there. Why wouldn't he want to go there? <laughs> well, in, in a similar vein, Reese uh, Oxford wanted to go back on loan to, to Gladbach. And West Ham being like, oh, I don't know. And Gladbach like, we'd like to buy him. And Reese like, I want to go back. Let me go back, please. I'm developing as a player. This is very valuable to me. Yeah. And, and the fact of the matter is, actually, if you can make sure that the player sort of stays on your side and is happy and you're loaning him to places where they're going to develop – those are hugely valuable, especially being in a different country. I think we'll see more smart Premier League clubs or smart agents push for this for their for their clients because it gets them to be more well-rounded. They become more comfortable potentially in different styles and different uh, environments. And it also means that you know, should your player need to move on, there are more potential suitors for him because he's already been in that league. So suddenly they're like, oh, as long as he's playing, this could potentially be quite good for us. Oh, the irony of just as the you know we have a generation of young players that are smart enough to realize <laughs> that they they should like move to Europe and extend extend their uh, worldview and develop and learn and prosper. Maybe and... it's Brexit's fault. Maybe it's Brexit's <laughs> fault. It never would have happened otherwise. Yeah, we're not. <laughs> and on that note, uh, thank you very like much, a, everybody, for it listening like a final to our note, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to our transfer podcast. Uh, our intermittent podcast shall continue to be intermittent for the foreseeable future. The good news for us is that we're really busy and it makes it hard to find the time. The bad news for you is that you only still get about one of these a month, give or take. Uh, you can flog James all you want, but he's unfloggable at this point. It's very clear. doesn't matter you know, how much action the Internet community takes. James will not make more podcasts for you. I might write something for the site. I haven't done that since August. <laughs> I, literally, the last thing I put on the site Whoa. was, uh, was uh, the Tottenham season preview. And See, that's, that's what title. you get. Oh. James writes for other places, though, not, as opposed to Stats Bomb. But, 
you know, that's all right. He, he's getting around. Hey, these are like your loans, right? We just loan you out to, to other places, and you'll develop, and you'll come back to us, and you'll be a better player. Exactly. Can't go wrong. <laughs> Thanks a lot, everybody. Thanks for listening. Cheers, mate. Hi. Welcome back. Sorry. I thought we left, but now we're here. Um, I forgot to talk briefly about the Opti Pro Forum, which is next week happening in London on February 7th. James and I will both be there, and we like talking to other people. I will be in London actually the 6th, 7th, and 8th. So if you're looking to meet up with us to potentially see what Stats by My Q looks like, to talk about you know what we could do for your club, or just to you know chat about football, uh, we're around and available for that. Um, and if you just you know, drop us an email, send us a, a DM, whatever. Um, we're also really excited to see some... I think the Ultra Pro Forum improves every year. What do you think, James? Yeah, it's good. It's, I've been to three now, and um, yeah, just great, great opportunity to meet lots of people from around like the football and the analytics world, and see some interesting presentations. And we, uh, as ever, there are a couple of stats from alumni uh, presenting uh, this time round. Uh, particularly looking forward to Dr. Marek Vyadkovsky's efforts. Um, yeah, should be good. He's the the best statistical data scientist in the tri-state area, so I'm very much looking forward to that as well. Uh, but yeah, I think the, there are lots of good presentations. We also get to, to apparently ask Devin Pluler questions. You know, he's got to do a little tap dance up there, what he can and can't answer. Uh, Luke Bourne, evil Luke Bourne, is uh, is one of the prime speakers. And if you don't know Luke's work, he's he's been one of the the foremost analysts in NBA <clears throat> with regard to tracking data, expected point value papers, the stuff that he he and his teams produce every year at Sloan have been awesome. He came over to soccer for a while, or football for a while, um, worked with Roma uh, for, I think, two years, and then he went back, and now he's like VP of strategy and analytics at, at Sacramento Kings in the NBA. Uh, pretty big job there. Uh, so he'll be, yeah, he's also, he speaks normal people language, doesn't just speak machine learning, so that should be quite a positive, too. Anyway, just want to let everybody know we're going to be around London next week. If you want to get in touch with us, that's great. We like to talk to people in football. It's fun for us, even if we give you a hard time on the show sometimes. <laughs>